This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. I'm sick of watching crappy baseball. And now it looks like we are up on on the internet for sure. So welcome to those of you that uh, uh, were uh, wondering where the hell we were, but uh, computer issues this morning. But uh, people on Facebook last night and on Twitter last night, I'm tired of watching crappy baseball. What the hell are you talking about? The Red Sox are 13 games over 500. And I know I said I was a, a raving lunatic last night, and I was. I mean, I was just you know, beside myself. You know, uh, th- this is a game where... Uh, you know, the Red Sox, you know, they take a 2-1 lead in the bottom of the second. They immediately cough it up top of the third. They take the lead back in the bottom of the third. They cough it up in the fifth. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, they get it back in the bottom of the fifth. And then Altuve hits a home run. I still don't know how the hell this went out. He was practically on his knees. He just flicked at the ball. It goes over the fence. People were yelling for people, for the umpires to check his bat that it has to be corked. And I'm not necessarily against it. He hit, he had two home runs in his series. I have no idea how the hell they went out. And then the Red Sox score five runs on just two hits in the bottom of the sixth inning. It was just a bizarre inning. It, that, by the way, involved a guy uh, coming out onto the field, taking off his clothes. It was, it was that kind of night. Uh, so absolutely insane. And, uh, and finally, the Red Sox bullpen, after all that nuttiness, Alex Cora finally went out and got some guys out of the bullpen that could get outs. Out of Vino with a, a scoreless seventh. Josh Taylor continued to pitch well, a scoreless eighth. And Matt Barnes with a scoreless ninth. Um, so the, the most concerning thing, I guess, if you're a Red Sox fan about last night, is Eduardo Rodriguez struggled again. He couldn't get out of the fifth inning. Four and two-thirds innings. He threw 106 pitches last night. 106. Gave up six runs. Six hits. Walked three guys. His ERA is now up to over six. I mean, at this point, I don't even know where to go to this, and you almost wonder if the Red Sox... The problem is is that they don't have anywhere else to go. You know, with the injuries that they have in the minor league system right now to the guys that were supposed to be their depth guys in the rotation, I don't know where they go if they wanted to shut him down and give him a rest because I have to believe, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have to believe that this is still... Uh, related to the myocarditis and to the issues that he had last year. I have to believe that because otherwise it just means that Eduardo Rodriguez stinks. (laughs) And, you know, everything that he has shown us over the last several years does not point to that. So I'm not quite sure, you know, where to go should be concerned about what's going on with Rodriguez right now. You know, but again, at the end of the day, some very positive signs last night. Kike Hernandez back in the leadoff slot. I still don't think he belongs there, but he ends up with a couple of hits uh, and a walk. 
made a great play in the outfield. J.D. Martinez had a home run last night, his first one in like two weeks. Uh, Bogey with a couple more hits. Devers with a couple more hits. Uh, great Verdugo back in the lineup last night. Now, he didn't have a hit, but he made a great play in the outfield. Uh, another outfield assist for the Red Sox. He threw out Altuve, which a single into a double. Uh, Renfro continued to hit the ball. And then there is Christian Arroyo. He had just one hit last night. He also walked. Uh, but Christian Arroyo had a huge, huge three-run home run in the fifth inning when it looked like the Sox were in big trouble. They were down 7-4, and Arroyo hit one completely out of the ballpark. I mean, it went over everything in left field, and all of a sudden it's back to a 7-7 game, and, you know, everybody, whew. And then, as I said, and you know, there we go in the top of the sixth, and uh, he flicks a ball out over the fence off of Darwin's and Hernandez with two outs, and now the Sox are losing again. And then, thank God, the the fiasco started in the bottom of the sixth when the Red Sox scored five runs on two hits. Now, before we move on, I want to talk about the Yankees. Don't forget, we have Dan Zampano coming up at nine thirty this morning to talk about the NFL. Um, but I want to. Uh, uh, talk about this infield fly rule last night. Rafi Devers uh, hit a ball that was popped up into the outfield, and that was 211 feet away from home plate. The problem is, is that everybody got hung up last night on the definition of an infield fly. An infield fly does not have to be in the infield. It has to be a ball that is popped up into the air that the umpire has a reasonable opinion that the infielder or outfielder is going to be able to make an, a routine play on the ball. And off the bat, when you watched it, Carlos Correa was backing up into the outfield. He looked to have it lined up. I have no issue with them calling that an infield fly last night. Now, it turns out that Correa drops the pop-up. Now, on an infield fly, the batter is automatically out. And then the base runners could advance at their own can advance at their own peril, and both base runners did. You know, Bogarts ended up at second; the other runner was at third base. So, you know, they didn't get an out on the base pass, but people were saying, "Well, he dropped the ball," and it was 211 feet away. Even Tom Karen, you know, the Red Sox pre and post game guy, was like, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, how can you call an infield fly rule in center field again? It's it infield fly rule does not mean it has to be. Uh, in the actual confines of the infield. It has to be a relatively uh, easy play. And Alex Spear backed up this whole thing. He said, look, prior to that last night, there had been 69, and I can't believe they actually track this, but they track everything. There had been 69 pop-ups or fly balls of at least 211 feet that had been caught by shortstops. Right, so sixty-nine of them during the year that have been caught by shortstop. So obviously, Correa going back on that wasn't some kind of an extraordinary effort. And as I said, off the bat, it looked like he had it. It was a no-brainer. So I have no issue with the umpire calling that. Again, it was one of those things of social media where people just you know, if especially if you're a Red Sox fan, the umpires and everybody's out to get the Red Sox, and everybody's out to get the Bruins. You know, and if you're a Yankee fan. You know, the officials all hate the Yankees. The announcers all hate the Yankees. And everybody hates the Yankees, you know, because there's no objectivity as being a fan. But I have no issue with it, you know. But people still, even this morning, still aren't buying it. Just unbelievable. Uh, so, anyway, look, if you're, again, 13 games over 500, a game back of the Rays, 
if you had told me this at the start of the season that this is where we'd be right now, I would have probably done a cartwheel, which, by the way, pr- people would probably pay to see, including my wife. Um, you know, look, you know, it, it's <laughs> this is a good baseball team. It is a flawed baseball team, to be sure, and they have to figure out this rotation thing. The last uh, trip around the rotation has been an absolute disaster for all five guys. And for Rodriguez, his last five starts, his ERA in his last five starts, folks, is eight. You know, his first four starts, his ERA was, you know, around three, and he was 4-0, and oh, and everybody's like, Eddie's back. Well, Eddie ain't back. You know, and whether it's the myocarditis or the coronavirus from last year or whether it's there's something just not right or there's something mechanically wrong, if he, you know, and, and if he doesn't figure it out, Red Sox aren't going to the postseason because, you know, they've also got Martin Perez who had been pitching over his of it. At some point, that that is going to come home to roost as well. So right now, the only guy I have any faith in, and even his last start stunk, is Nathan Avaldi. And Chris Sale's going to come back at some point. It's probably going to be late July or August. He's not the savior. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's going to be on a pitch limit to begin with, so he's not coming in throwing gas for eight innings, folks. So if Erod and these other guys don't figure this out, you know, that one game back of Tampa and that 13 games over 500 is going to go away in a big hurry. Now, the Sox have a series this weekend against the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have been struggling. They're six and a half back. This is a series the Red Sox have to win. And as I said, if they win every series between now and the end of the year, now they're not going to do that, but if they do, they're going to make the playoffs. But they have to make a statement this weekend. Houston right now is a team that's on fire. That was a good win for the Sox last night, a win that they needed. But this is a very, very good Houston team. They don't strike out a lot, and they hit the snot out of the baseball. They may be, uh, they and the Chicago White Sox may indeed be the best two teams in the American League. Doesn't mean the Sox aren't good. It just means that right now they don't match up well. And and if they don't figure out the pitching, it, that's not going to change if the postseason comes and the Red Sox have to play them again. Uh, now, you know, again, some salve for the Red Sox last night. The, the uh, Rays were off, so the Sox actually gained a half a game. And the Yankees lost. And the Yankees lost in spectacular fashion. The Yankees looked like they had this game put away. Uh, despite a subpar start by Michael King, uh, who has taken the spot in the rotation from Corey Kluber, couldn't get out of the fourth inning. He allowed four hits, a couple of runs, walked three guys in three and two-thirds. They get him out of there. The bullpen did a pretty good job of keeping him in it. And so you go into the ninth inning, leading the Minnesota Twins 5-3, to three, and you've got a Roldis Chapman on the mound you're feeling pretty good about your chances because Chapman has been absolutely lights out. So what happens in the ninth inning? Jorge Polanco with a leadoff single. Josh Donaldson with a 438-foot blast. So now all of a sudden your 5-3 lead is gone and you are tied at 5-5. All right, well, look, everybody blows a save. You know, we saw Matt Barnes blowing for the Sox the other day. It's going to happen, right? So... So then you figure, well, he's going to recover. I mean, he's been too good. So what happens after that? Uh, well, uh, Willens Ostadio, the uh, the turtle, singles on the first pitch he sees from Chapman. Next guy up, Nelson Cruz. He hit one even farther than Donaldson. He hits one 457 feet on the next pitch. 
boom, game over. <laughs> Chapman faces four guys. They all get on base. Two home runs, game over. Yankees lose. The Yankees lose. I mean, it was uh, a stunner. You know, and uh, John Carlos Stanton with another home run last night. It looks like he's starting to get hot. Uh, it was his 12th. You know, uh, uh, Gio Urshela hit one. Everything was looking good in Yankee land until Aroldis Chapman. And again, am I worried about Chapman if I'm a Yankee fan? No. Now, his velocity was down a little bit last night. He was only throwing about 97, 98. Uh, should that be concerning? Look, again, we're into uncharted territory now as far as where we were last year. Guys are pitching more innings than they did last year. We've already exceeded the number of games played last year. We might see more of this. You know, who knows? Who knows? But that was a tough one for the Yankees to lose last night. So they, with the loss now, fall six back of the Rays, five back of the Red Sox, and they're only a half a game ahead of Toronto. Uh, the Yankees actually have today off, which is bizarre. They have a Friday off. And then they play a series, a two-game series over the weekend at Philadelphia. Uh, Jamison Tyon is going to start for them on Saturday. And uh, uh, they've already said that Giancarlo Stanton is not going to play this weekend. He Because there's no DH, they're in Philly. Uh, he's going to be a pinch hitter off the bench. Uh, Aaron Boone just says, uh, I'm not ready to put him in the outfield yet. And, you know, with his injury situation, and frankly, he's not a great outfielder even when he's healthy. Uh, you know, kind of like J.D. Martinez of the Boston Red Sox. He's a guy that's maybe best uh, suited for the designated hitter spot. So he will not play uh, this weekend. But a tough one, obviously, for them uh, uh, to swallow last night. And uh, so that is where we're at with Major League Baseball. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano of uh, the Sunday Card, our NFL correspondent, and we haven't talked to him in a little while. We've got a, a grab bag of things we got a, a veritable potpourri of stuff to talk about with him this morning. We'll get to that when we come back. we got to take a break. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. And uh, as we have on many Fridays during the year and certainly during football season, we are thrilled uh, to welcome Dan Zampano, our NFL correspondent. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Good morning, Gene. It's a beautiful day here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I'm excited to get a little, you know, summertime football action. Not a lot of things going on, mini camps, all these little different things going on, people putting out things on Twitter that mean nothing. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible time of year, but it is, it is means, it does mean that we are getting closer and closer to September, and I'm very excited. Well, let's, uh, with the mini camps going on and stuff, before we get to some of that stuff, let's talk about the big trade that went down uh, this past week where the Tennessee Titans got Julio Jones from the Falcons. Now, talk had been that the Falcons wanted a first-round draft pick. They don't end up getting that. They get, what, I think a second and a fourth. And everybody now thinks that, Oh my God, you know, the Titans are going to win this thing because now they've got Julio Jones. They've already had a great offense, but here, this is what I want to ask you. Aren't we overblowing this considering the fact that yes, they did get Julio Jones, but a Julio Jones missed seven games last year with a hamstring. He's 32 years old and Tennessee lost Corey Davis and Janu Smith in free agency. So to me at best, uh, getting Julio Jones kind of makes up for losing those other two guys. I'm not sure they made a, as huge a step forward as everybody thinks they made. I think you nailed it on the head. 
I think that's a how about that. What, what, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like you're in baseball season. It's almost like because you're in baseball season, you see football more clear. Yeah, I mean, but, it's unbelievable. must be it. I, I think. I think I do think that the Julio trade obviously is going to help Tennessee. There's no question about that. But you're right. Corey Davis was a top five PFF wide receiver last year. He had one of his best years of his career. Is he going to do that in New York? I don't know. Johnny Smith, uh, amazing red zone target for Ryan Tannehill. Julio Jones comes over, and you're right. Again, as, as amazing as Julio Jones is, he's probably the best receiver that we've had in this league in the last 10 years. He's 32 coming off that injury, and he doesn't score a ton of touchdowns. He's not a touchdown guy. He's a big production receiver. There's no question about that. He's going to get you a lot of yards. He's going to get you into the red zone. And maybe that matters with a team like Tennessee having Derrick Henry. Right. But Tennessee is still, still a lot of question marks on that team because of a couple of things. Like you said, the missing receivers, yes. Can Derrick Henry continue to do what he has done? A lot of people think yes. We'll see. A lot of workload for a running back. And uh, has anybody noticed they just shipped off their entire secondary? Right. Like, I mean, and I mean, does anybody? We do still play defense in this league, right, Gene? I'm, I'm not. I'm not losing my mind here. Last time I, I mean, checked, there are there are question marks about Tennessee. And as exciting as Julio Jones is, I am not sold and ready to say AFC South champions going to a conference championship again like they did a few years ago when they went on that magical run. So I would caution people. And the other thing that's crazy, too, is people come thinking that there was a first-round pick offered for Julio Jones is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. I mean, people people honestly having a conversation about, and this is where it gets kind of fuzzy because this is where the fan is separated from the actual like market value GM-style way of looking at the league right. is that Julio was never going to get a first-round pick. Not a $15 million a year right. cap hit. I right. mean, second and a fourth was a godsend. So, I, listen, uh, to me, I am cautiously optimistic, but again, I'm more cautious than optimistic. <laughs> well, and obviously the team they have to catch, the Kansas City Chiefs, are still loaded now. The Chiefs did take a bit of a hit this week, and we still don't know how severe it is, but losing, uh, potentially losing Kyle Long for a, a, on the offensive line for a, an extended period of time is certainly not the way they wanted to go into preseason. No, it's not. And you know what? Kyle Long is coming out of retirement, so that was kind of a little bit of, again, a, a shot in the dark, maybe value uh, pickup for okay. the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs have really had to obviously rebuild their line. You remember last year, we talked about it right before the Super Bowl. They had four of their five offensive linemen not start the Super Bowl that started week one. Right. I mean, that, that, was, that was kind of a big deal. And now Eric Fisher is gone. They do bring in Joe Tooney, obviously. But look, the Chiefs are obviously going to be, you know, the top contending team in the AFC uh, probably for a while now. As long as they have Patrick Mahomes back there, as much as that pains me to say, it pains. <laughs> Some of my other compadres, uh, they're pretty much a favorite in the AFC. Um, so let's go over to the NFC for a minute. And there was a bit of a controversy stirred up this week and suddenly some questions about whether Tampa Bay could be in trouble or not. When Tom Brady announced to the world that uh, my knee was bad all year, I knew prior to the season I was going to need surgery at the end of the season – and yet he did not appear on the injured list like once all year. 
And, and now everybody's saying, well, wait a minute. Um, why wasn't he? And could this could could Tampa be in trouble? Do you think? Would the is the NFL liable to come down on them about this? I mean, <laughs> the only reason this is a story at all is because a couple of people maybe would have made a little bit more money on some point spreads. I think right. That's the only reason this is a is an actual story. Look, even if the NFL comes down on Tampa, Tampa Bay is spending money out the wazoo. Right. On everyone. So right. it doesn't really matter. They gave Arians and Jason Light the GM extension. They they got everybody back. They're bringing Giovanni Bernard. You remember when Donald Trump said that he could go in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and he would still get elected and still get votes? <laughs> yeah. That's how Tom Brady could what's what that's what Tom Brady could do in Tampa Bay. Right. Like that's exactly that's exactly what he could do. He can do no wrong. I mean they honestly this is this when I saw that story. I'm like, this is the big. This, we're really trying to fish for stuff now, aren't we? I mean, we really are because he said his knee hurt a few times. They're gonna they're gonna have an injury report scandal or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the NFL will probably have a conversation. We probably won't hear about it until you know six months from now, and right. it will never be a thing again. So. Um- uh, again, again, you know, with the summertime, you, you got to fish for stories when there's no game. Yeah. On. You know, and some of it, some of it says to me, this is like, you know, Tom Brady's just an easy target. He's the low hanging fruit. The same thing happened because they were successful in new England with the whole deflated football thing. And, you know, all of a sudden Brady's like some mastermind of deflating footballs. And now he's somehow a mastermind of figuring out how to manipulate the, uh, that, the point spreads every week. That used to happen in New England. If yeah, people remember? Yep. Where he would not. He, like they, they would come up and say, "Yeah, I had a bum knee here, I had a bum elbow here," and he wouldn't be on the injury report. This has been going on. For years. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it it it's kind of part of a bigger issue, where you know this the reason that the NFL injury list is so stringent and it is the way it is is all because of gambling, and you know, I mean, every league now is in bed with gambling, whether it's a casino, whether it's DraftKings or what, you know, whatever it is, FanDuel, everybody's in bed with it. I'm wondering, and, and what do you think is, are we heading to a day when the injury list for every league is going to be like this? I mean, there's a lot of fishy stuff now where you don't know what's going on in the NBA. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and is that, well, wait a minute now. The, All right. Look but, at what the NBA does. Look at what the NBA does every night. I mean, the load management. I mean, right. he's got, you know, yeah. he's got, yeah. a, so he, his, his foot is his, the bottom of his foot is sore. You know, like, you know, it's like the most ridiculous things you've ever heard in your life. Like my <laughs> pinky toe is, is, you know, has a hangnail. I mean, it's like the most unbelievable things that happen. And it's bad for the sport because, you know, I mean, in football, it's not going to happen as much because I mean, there's only one game a week and guys right. are, you know, more injury prone in that sport than, than most sports and hockey you could probably say the same thing baseball guys sitting out with like with with a stretched out or oblique muscle for eight weeks and right you know the, the basketball i mean it is it, it's really getting absurd and pro- part of, probably the reason why the nba ratings were down last year and why you know um I mean, it's still a popular sport, obviously, but why nobody watches regular season NBA, at least mostly. And, and again, baseball's in the same boat. In, in fact, baseball's even worse. And, and so it's for all the people that are just leaving baseball and watching it. So I, I do think that the NFL has it a little more under control just because of the parameters and the logistics of the game. But 
I, I, I definitely see this being something that players and Brady specifically has not been like a friend to the union. I would right, say, right, right, I agree. In regards yeah. to you know helping up the whole players, he's kind of done things on his own. So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily see this being. I can see more players protecting themselves. Absolutely, I could see that. You know, just to put a wrap on this, I will say one thing: if indeed that knee is as bad as Brady says it was, and that he knew like last April that it wasn't right and he was going to have to have a procedure done. That makes what he did last year even more remarkable. Insane. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, he's, insane. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe, maybe his nickname should be the freak show, you know, because it, it's, it's really, it's kind of crazy. You don't, you don't see this from 44 year old anybody's anymore, unless you're Phil Nicholson. Of course. Well, <laughs> well uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, let's 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 stay let's stay in Florida because I got another question to ask you. Um, Tim Tebow. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. Well, I I have to bring this up. A couple of things. Number one, the fact that he's trying to make a comeback in the NFL as a tight end. Everybody's up in arms because you know they signed him and to give him an opportunity. Well, I have a couple of things about that. Number one, what the hell? What the hell does Jacksonville have to lose by giving him an opportunity? Uh, because you know, it, it, at least it, it it puts a little juice into maybe the first part of of, of training camp because nobody's going to care about a terrible team anyway. Uh, you know, other than you know their number one draft pick, obviously. But what have they got to lose? And my other question is, what did Tim Tebow do in his life to piss so many people off? I mean, I can't figure it out. This is a guy who is, by all accounts one of the nicest human beings on the face of the planet and doesn't seem to have a disingenuous bone in his body. And yet this is a guy that people seem to love to hate for some reason. Why is that? Because of his, um, how should I say this? Boisterous opinions on things, I would say. And it's not that it's a boisterous opinion. I would say he is has a, he's a man of his own conviction. Yes. Obviously, the religious component comes into this, and people get all up in arms about that. I have absolutely no reason why. I mean, I, I, I could not explain that to you. Um, but I would say this about Tebow. There's no other team in the league that would do this except for Urban Meyer and right. the Jaguars. Right. I, 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 I agree. I, I, I cannot see that happening i think that this team is in a position not only to have Tebow's former coach but to be in a position where they can try things like this because they are so bad right but um i think the complaint is from most people that i've heard is that why is tim tebow at 33 a former quarterback who's never played the position before be giving an opportunity over a guy that's trying to make the roster and, and, and has been working his whole life to try and make this team. And, and that is, that is a good point. I would say to that, that there is something to be said about having a guy like Tebow in the locker room, right? Who is there, who is a stand up character. Uh, the media, this is really a media driven thing. I really think the media has it out for him just, Specifically, I think because of his opinions, mm-hmm. that's my point of view. But again, I, I do think that there is something to be said about character. Do I look? <laughs> I don't know if he makes the team. I will say that. Okay. And if he does, I think a lot of it 
will be said that it's for PR reasons for the Jaguars. And it may and, be. And but what's but what? And, and honestly, that's where he's from. That's where he's from. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people down there love him. So what it makes what, a lot of sense. I mean, I looked at it. If it if it is for PR. What, why not? What have they got to lose? I mean, any positive exactly. press, any press that they can get is is you know is is good, and any excitement they can build up from fans. And if he's going to put a couple extra butts in the seats, I don't necessarily be a problem with it. And I'll make this counter argument too about the argument that our people are making. Well, why should he take an opportunity away from somebody else who's played that position their whole lives? How many times do we see guys that play one position in college, but when they get drafted into the pros, they say, well, yeah, but you're not going to do that. You're going to play this. So you've got somebody trying to learn another position in the NFL because they're a good athlete. And look, say what you want about Tebow. He wasn't a great NFL quarterback, all right? But the guy is a good athlete. It's just he may not have been an NFL quarterback, but he still, uh, you know, he. hell, I wish I was half as gifted athletically as he was. <laughs> Guess what? He won as an NFL quarterback. Well, yeah, there is that. Yeah, I'll give that. you that. That's true. He won as an NFL quarterback. So, you want to know something? There was Whatever that was, that way you call that God, you call it divine intervention, you call <laughs> right. that season, whatever you want. <laughs> you know, it was him him having zero completions in three quarters and then coming back in the fourth. It was That was one of the most unbelievable things that's ever happened. So, yep. you know, whatever he's got, and if that's what's going to happen to your football team, let's get some of that going. On. Uh, some juice falling from that. I like that. All right, let's get to some more drama because God knows we can't have enough of that. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is a no-show at the mini camps. Um, it sounds, it seems more and more likely, Dan, that he isn't going to show up this year. It seems more and more likely that he's going to dig his heels in, doesn't it? Are, are we surprised by this? Well, consider I mean, no, I, I, no. He, he, he said he is. <laughs> he has said multiple times. I, I, it is a philosophy thing, and I'm not showing up. Like I, I, I don't know, like why people continue to be surprised that he's not going to be at minicamp. Like until there is a breakthrough, a revolution, or something or other, and Mark Murphy, uh, you know, coming out and saying, you know, he's splitting our fan base apart, and you know, you can see things like I do not understand any Green Bay Packer fan that boos this man for wanting to get out of here. I mean, what has, what more has Aaron Rodgers, can Aaron Rodgers do for your franchise? Right. Honestly, like yep. what more, like have they surrounded him with, with, you know, they have obviously Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones now, and you know, but again, like they, they have had falters in clutch situations, not because of him, but because of, a, I say coaching. That's the number one thing. Mm-hmm. And B, they have ne- they've really never had a dominant defense, and um, except for talking about maybe that period from 2010 and 2011. I mean, that's really the last time they had a really, really solid defense. But even last year, I mean, they were they were you know, I'd say they were above average, but they weren't a great defense last year. So. You know, to me, again, I, I, I'll keep running around the merry-go-round with this one. Until the Packers want to actually sit down and talk with Aaron Rodgers and, and say, okay, you know, what exactly is it that you want? Well, how can we fix this? You know, nothing is going to get fixed. And, and to me, Aaron Rodgers is his own man, and I truly believe that even, even though he would be losing out on $40 million, I'm sure he could make that up somewhere else, at least some Easily. of it. 
Yeah. And 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 probably and and, and honestly, I, I just still believe in my heart. I don't. I do not think he's going to be a Packer next year. I just do not believe that. I'll die on that hill. I'll do what I have to do to survive. <laughs> but you know what? I th- I I do believe that there's going to be an opportunity for somebody to go get this guy. And whatever it is, whether it's a retirement and then coming out of retirement or or sitting out the season, I don't know. But I I just don't see right now how the Packers are going to resolve this issue without talking to them and stop stoking fires in the media. I just, I don't understand. It's a, it's a failure in, it's a masterclass in failure of leadership. That's what it is. What do you think it would take for Aaron Rodgers to agree to come back? I mean, does he have to be able to like call his own plays? I mean, what is, what is it you think he's looking for? I, I, I do think that he maybe, I, 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 when I understand it with Kenny Mayne's interview, he's talking about a, a change in philosophy and how players get treated. And I think that he wants more influence on who makes the roster and who doesn't. And okay. I know that that is, a, you know, I know I said the same thing about Deshaun Watson and that that shouldn't happen about the GM hirings and all that. But, you know, at the end of the day, this cat is the only thing that there, there are some players that are untradeable. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, there's some players that you kind of have to make do with. Like, look at Tom Brady. and right. They've given him all these things, and Aaron Rodgers is looking at that and be like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, right. you know, I mean, so to me, I think the Packers have always been a very conservative-run team. They don't spend a lot in free agency. They don't uh, – they, they like to home-grow talent. And, and some of the guys that they have shipped off, uh, you know, that Rodgers has really liked, he has, has kind of made him upset and – Jordan Love is just, you know, that's a that's not a huge factor. I think I think it's just part of a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that I think that him having more influence on on especially receivers, uh, as far as the roster is concerned, having such a young coach that you know I don't think is necessarily you know the leader in that clubhouse. I think he is more of an X's and O's guy. I think Rodgers wants to be, you know, that emotional leader in that, in that, uh, in that locker room. So that, I, that's what I would say, just the change in philosophy of how they do things, especially offensively. All right, well, let's move over to New England. And uh, uh, Cam Newton uh, uh, reportedly hurt his thumb or, or his finger or one of his fingers or something, hitting it on a helmet during a drill or something. And so he has not uh, practiced. So, of course, you know, Patriot fandom, all of a sudden, it's saying, "Oh, maybe this is you know Mac Jones's you know chance." Well, Bill Belichick seemed to put a um, a the quick breaks on that when he spoke to the media yesterday and basically said, "Yeah, no, Jones has a ways to go yet," and uh, you know basically said Cam Newton's our guy, uh, and and that's the right thing to do. I mean, you know, Frank, don't you? I mean, look, I I think Mac Jones. I'm hoping actually Mac Jones is the future of the Patriots, but. I don't. I don't. I think they do the kid a disservice if they try to throw him in early, anyway. So, I think it's really good that Belichick is kind of shutting this down right now, don't you? Oh, of course. I mean, we're two weeks into camp, here. right? I mean, the guy. The guy. I mean, we're we're literally, you know, we're cutting the umbilical cord with this guy. I mean, right. that's what we're doing here. I mean, I, I mean, to to say that Mac Jones is automatically going to be the starter in June. Right is ridiculous. Right, you know, I mean, like, can we get to a training camp? Please, something. This is, yeah. this is like, you know, I mean, like, this is the Boston, you know, media storm that we've all come. Well, from well yeah, but, but how bad is? Know. 
Well, you know what? How how bad is it when? How desperate are they to talk about this stuff? When you know, I, I read a story that uh, that uh, somebody had in the Globe this morning. I can't remember if it was uh, Jim McBride or whether it was Ben Volan, but you know, basically breaking down uh, completion percentages and drills. You know, I mean, really? <laughs> That's what, I mean. We're really searching here, and again, we're I, not even. Go ahead. We're not even in pads, James. Yeah, we're I know. I know. Like, <laughs> what are we talking about? I mean, goodness. I keep hearing Jarrett Stidham's having an amazing OTA. So I'm like, oh, yeah, oh. you really think he's going to be the starter next year? Yeah. Like, gracious. <laughs> um, Maybe we could throw Brian Hoyer in there again and see how that goes. Oh, well, they you did know? They I mean, they did break down, you know, Hoyer's uh, passing percentage in the drills, and it was, it was pretty good, and he was the only one throwing the ball downfield. So maybe he's going to be the starter. Well, maybe maybe if he doesn't take a sack, and, uh, with, 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 uh, I can't even get into that Kansas City game. I can't get into it. I'll have a heart attack. It's only June, Gene. I got to save some energy for September. I, the greatest the greatest thing that came out of the story, though, I read in the in the Globe this morning. The greatest thing, and Cam Newton, if he never does anything else in his career, has done something really good. Did you see what he has uh, has dubbed Mac Jones's uh, as his nickname, Mac and Cheese? Oh yes. Yeah, I mean, if Cam Newton does nothing else, if you know what, if he becomes known as Mac and Cheese for the rest of his life, I'll be a happy man because there is an endorsement deal just waiting to happen. <laughs> With guess who? With probably Kraft. Kraft, absolutely. Yeah, and, a lot of sense. You know, can how how it can't get any better than that. So, <laughs> having said that, tell me, give me a reason why. This seven and nine Patriots team from last year is a playoff team in 2021 because of the complete roster rebuild that they have done defensively. That's the reason. Okay, uh, they're probably going to carry 28 defenders. I mean, I, I I actually did this the other day where I was going through the roster. It is very difficult to find spots for certain guys that have had impacts last year. Young guys like. It's difficult to find spots for guys like Chase Winovich. It's difficult to find spots for guys like Anthony Jennings, these right. guys that got drafted last year. It's difficult to find spots for the drafted guys this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is. There is a lot of depth on this football team. You've got a healthy Dante Hightower who's coming off a year off where he's gotten fully healthy, and I think that'll vastly, vastly improve that defensive front. Um and then after that, I mean, I just I think that obviously the tight end situation has shored up a little, maybe a little bit of the wide receiver, the lack of receivers in the locker room. Right. So I think that'll really help them. This will be still a running team. Okay. I, I, I still believe that. I do think it'll be a running team. But if they can win games like they did last year, maybe like a game like like Arizona where they won, you know, late and won a, a low scoring game, but they will win games with this defense, and that is encouraging to me because there's no better mastermind that we've ever had on defense than Bill Belichick. So I do think that this could be a playoff team. I think this could be a division-winning team. I wow. really do. Okay. I really believe that. All right. So those, those, would be, those would be my reasons, because they play defense really well and because they play special teams really well. That's, that's, that's pretty much the reason. If they can control the clock on offense and, and get some – you know, if every guy has 30 catches for, for 500 yards or 400 yards, like – you know, God bless him. I mean, that that would be fine. I mean, we, you don't need a thousand yard receiver on your team every year to, to be successful. You really not with this roster the way it. 
Well, we've got a whole bunch of stuff that we haven't been able to get to. This. So I'm going to have to have you on again really quick before the season starts because uh, I wanted to talk about Russell Wilson. I actually wanted to bring up the new college football playoff thing they're talking about, but we don't have time for that. I, yeah. Before we get out of here, I I would be remiss if we didn't take a minute, uh, and, and I want to get your thoughts on uh, Jim Fossil passed away uh, this past mm. week of a heart attack, 71 years old. This is a guy that was the NFL coach of the year. Uh, back in 97, led his team to a Super Bowl. Now they got spanked in the Super Bowl by the Ravens. But, um, you know, this is a guy, and, and it's it's funny, I, I thought about this. You know, he's part of, you know, the, the fabric of the New York Giants. And unfortunately, with almost every coach, you know, unless they retire, uh, it always ends badly. <laughs> and it ended badly for Jim Fossil with the New York Giants. Yep. But there is no denying that, uh, you know, for a period of uh, three or four years, uh, he did a hell of a job with that New York Giants team. He was not the favorite to get that job. No. He did end up getting it, and, and he ended up just having a much better career than than people give him credit for. Uh, from everything I've heard, he was one of the nicest guys in the business in terms of when he got out and got media done. But that, you remember that 2000 Giants team, he put it all on the table and he said, we will be a playoff team when, when that team was had lost like three or four in a row games right. in, in the middle of the season. And they went on a crazy run. They beat the Vikings. They beat the snot out of the Vikings uh, in the NFC Championship game uh, to get to that Super Bowl and obviously ran into one of the great defenses of all time in the Ravens. But he kind of set the table for, for Tom Coughlin and what would be, you know, the Giants later on and, and had a relationship. You see guys like Tiki Barber and Michael Strahan coming out with with uh, with tributes for him. So, you know, rest in peace, Jim Fossil. A good coach, not a great coach, but a great man nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I, I just – it was one of those things is I, I – I've I've always been a hater of of pretty much anything from New York. So I was never, uh, you know, a a big fan of of fossils. But again, I I know some people that uh, that write for the NFL and have and agreed with exactly what you said, regardless of what you thought of the guy. He was uh, a class act and one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. And I I was just thinking about this. And I don't mean to say anything bad about Belichick, but I want I, I don't think a lot of people are going to say that about a guy like Bill Belichick when he retired. You know, he's one of the nope. nicest guys. One of the nicest guys I ever met. <laughs> so. That's a good point. You know, the other thing about Jim Fossil, real quick, is is that uh, he actually helped Sean Payton uh, in his career. Did he? I did Sean not know Payton that. Sean Payton was the offensive coordinator. Oh, oh that's Sean right, he Payton was. was. the offensive coordinator for the Giants for that, for that, for that, for that uh, amount of time. I had forgotten really about that. And really helped him launch his career. So yeah. a little bit of a coaching tree thing there, off the Parcells tree, but uh, off the Fossil tree as well for Sean Payton. So... He leaves a legacy. He leaves a legacy. He's a good man. Well, Dan, thanks for a few minutes this morning. Don't lose my number because I'm going to call you. We're going to get you on again in a couple of weeks because um, I've got I've got a laundry list of other things we got to get to. So, uh, but uh, enjoy the uh, beginning of your summer, my friend, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Keep uh, don't don't lose any sleep about the Red Sox. I promise you. Okay. I'll, I'll, be all right. I'll try not to. All right, my friend. Take care. Take it easy. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We leave you with some music, a brand new song from the Zach Brown Band. It's called Same Boat. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.